Don't look now, but the Kansas City Chiefs are back in the Super Bowl for the fourth time in five years to defend their title. Lamar Jackson was far from an MVP, but I'll tell you who the main culprit was as the Baltimore Ravens season goes up in smoke. The Detroit Lions blew a golden opportunity to get to their first Super Bowl against an underwhelming San Francisco Niner team that is fortunate to be here. I'll have a complete assessment of both games, who was game, who was lame, and look ahead to the big game in two weeks. Luka Doncic tops what Joel Embiid did by scoring 73 points on Friday night. Is it a case of great offense or poor defense? The Edmonton Oilers are looking to make history, but will have to wait eight more days to do so. And Yannick Sinner completes an epic comeback to win the Australian Open. Closing out the first month of the year with a jam-packed hour of sports talk and analysis. It's all coming up, but first, this message. JReels here to spend a brief moment and share a friendly reminder to please subscribe, rate, review the podcast on whichever platform you listen to on the regular. Just so we can increase the visibility of the JReels podcast to those who aren't familiar with it. Leave plenty of stars, write a favorable review. It will go a long way for the curious listener looking to hop on board to get a dose of entertaining and passionate sports talk. For the visually inclined, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, at JReels, as I post daily shorts and weekly vlogs, not only delving into the world of sports, but follow me on my journey to take the podcast and channel to new heights, as I provide an in-depth, behind-the-scenes look at what it takes for yours truly to produce content on a day-in, day-out, week-in, week-out basis. It goes without saying how much I truly appreciate all of your support, and without further ado, the JReels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2... One. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast paced, jam packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I got to call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, Michael people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. January is coming to a close with February on the horizon in just a few days. I hope you're sticking to your game plan as to what you have mapped out for 2024. The good Lord knows that's the case on my end. More to share about that later in the week. But first, lots to uncover as we recap what has taken place in the world of sports as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard, and for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back, and I'm sure the NFL fan, after last night at around 10 p.m. Eastern, I'm sure they shed a tear. No, not because of the Lions, and they were unable to reach their first Super Bowl. No, not because they will not see Lamar Jackson and probably the MVP of the league, be in Allegiant Stadium in less than two weeks to represent the AFC, it's because there's one football game left. And usually that game, because of all the pomp and circumstance, and it being the quote-unquote sports holiday that it is, the Super Bowls, we all know, is a spectacle. So unlike the previous 22 weeks, I guess, or 21 weeks, where we could cozy up to our sofas, sit there from 1 p.m. till about almost midnight when you think about it here on the East Coast, and watch football wall-to-wall all day, Sundays, Monday night, Thursday night, etc. It has come to almost an end. And yesterday were two games that, for two different reasons, they were both good and a little bit surprising because I thought one game was going to be a little bit more high-scoring, and that's the first game. And the second one, I expected it to be high-scoring, but I certainly didn't see that outcome in the future considering the big lead that the Lions jumped out to and the events of the second half that totally engulfed the coach Dan Campbell and I'll get to him later on because I'm going to go in order of both the AFC and NFC championship games yesterday and the overall theme the big picture before I really break it down the chief medal and toughness highly underrated and highly underestimated and if you didn't 
tell or witness by these past two games on the road in Buffalo and Baltimore, then you haven't been paying attention. And now, take notice, because this team who were both underdogs, and rightfully so, whether it's going to Orchard Park or going to Baltimore, knowing that they have not been on the road in the postseason ever in the Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes era, as we've talked about time after time after time, and did they show the world that not only they belong, but they're a team that is looking to get to -to back-to-back Super Bowl victories. On the other side, we could talk about Lamar Jackson and how this was supposed to be his time. Going to be an MVP, a guy that was going to raise his game to the likes of his counterpart, Patrick Mahomes. And he fell way short. But to me, the game falls on an even bigger person and someone who is well-respected and has won a Super Bowl, but it's time to call out John Harbaugh. And I'll get to him in a minute. And as far as the nightcap, the Lions. I know all of Michigan and especially the Motor City, they are crying in their beer and even their coffee this morning because they were this close. And it all falls on the head coach, on his shoulders. And then for the Niners, I can't say any more about them being a front-running team. Now, mind you, it was Green Bay, a 9-8 team last week. And the Lions, who for their 12-5 and record and their two wins in the postseason, went up against a coach that his appetite, he ate with his eyes as opposed to his stomach. And that's what doomed Detroit in that game. But for Brock Purdy, coming from behind a 17-point deficit, and yes, they got a big lucky play in the process, which pretty much turned the fortunes of this game around. But the Niners are back in the Super Bowl, and Kyle Shanahan, who I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, was going to be under that spotlight, similar to Lamar Jackson, having to get back to a Super Bowl, how it would have been criminal if they didn't make it, but boy, did they have to scratch, claw, blood, sweat, tears, tooth and nail to get to this point, and does that bode well for them in the final game of the year, which I'll get to later on. So with the first game, I thought it was going to be high scoring because when you looked at what happened after the opening drive by the Ravens going three and out where the Chiefs methodically went down the field, to make it 7 nothing, and then on the ensuing drive, the Ravens get the touchdown, that scramble, schoolyard play from Lamar Jackson to Zay Flowers in the end zone to make it 7-7, back down the field, the Chiefs go to make it 14-7, and you were thinking, or at least I was, that this is going to be a shootout, it's going to be maybe the team who has the ball last may win the game, and even as the Chiefs were putting up big yards, 221 in the first half, they dominated those first 30 minutes to the tune of a almost 21-minute time of possession to the Ravens' nine and a half minutes somewhere along the line. So it was 20, whatever it was, 20-35 to 9-25, somewhere in that ballpark. And for the Ravens and their defense, who I thought were going to be gassed in the second half, and boy was I wrong because the defense that was gassed in the final 30 minutes were the Kansas City Chiefs that were running on fumes. But give it up to the Ravens, how they were able to stem the tide there after those first couple of scoring drives, and then they tacked on a field goal late. You had the one scenario where the Chiefs got the strip sack fumble recovery, and they went for it on fourth and one, which is going to be a theme here, people. But for Andy Reid, I thought it was good for him to go for it. They already had a lead. They were thinking fourth in the yard. Let's see if we could really put the foot on the proverbial neck to get the Ravens backpedaling to the tune of maybe even coming out with a field goal there, but I'm sure they were going to try to go for six. And as it was, they got stopped there. And the Ravens, they didn't do anything with that drive. And then they had the second half where the Chiefs had the ball, didn't really do anything. For the most part, through the whole half, up until that big third down conversion where Marquez Valdez-Scantling falling backwards on that beautiful touch throw by Patrick Mahomes, and I'll get to that later, which iced the game. The Raven defense, give them kudos. Kyle Hamilton was all over the place. He played phenomenally. The defense, they did not even blink after those two big drives and even the field goal there right before the half to make it 17-7. And the Chiefs weren't to be heard from again offensively. So you have to give all the kudos and credit to the world to the Raven defense for hanging in there and making sure that the offense could try to get back in the game. Now, as far as that offense is concerned, 
they were a far cry from what we saw in the regular season. A team, as I talked about a million times over, that they're a front-running team. They'd rather play from in front than from behind. And even though the Niners stuck it right up my rear end in reference to that, because to me, the Ravens and Niners, they mirror image one another as far as them being a team that plays better from in front than from behind. But what you saw there yesterday with this Raven offense was just, they were stuck in mud. It was a clogged toilet experience for the Raven fans who were in the building and everybody in that region because they were unable to muster anything. And even though the stat line at the end of the game for Lamar Jackson looks good, 20 for 37, 272 yards, did have a touchdown, and that one big interception, which, trust me, I will touch on, but for the Ravens to not only be able to gain an inch, weren't able to get anything going offensively. Yes, they were able to move the ball, but not deep enough until you got to the fourth quarter to where they were finally, looks like they were going to hit pay dirt. And they got the big play there to Zay Flowers right before the end of the third quarter. And then what did Flowers do? He not only pushed the defender, but he stood up over him like an idiot, got a taunting penalty, 15 yards. And as I like to say here from time to time, Carmen never forgets an address. And I get it, that pass play there, deep in Chief territory to where Zay Flowers caught it and he was lunging to see if he could break the plane of the goal line for the touchdown. And that's a smart play, you gotta do it. But one more time, Karma said, uh-uh, Zay Flowers, you're a rookie in this league. You had no business trying to show up the other team, the opponent, that player who was on the ground there after that 54-yard reception. And therefore, the ball was punched out, recovered in the end zone by the Chiefs, And that was arguably the biggest play of the game. Because if they get the touchdown there and make it 17-14, all the momentum. And with the way the Raven defense was playing, I understand there would have been some urgency on the Chiefs side. And you would think that Patrick Mahomes would prevail when it's all said and done. But we'll never know that. And then with Zay Flowers, who I understand, emotional, upset, frustrated, whatever it may be. What the hell is he doing going to the sideline, slamming his hand to where he gets a cut, and I'm sure they probably bandaged it up, and who knows if it needed stitches, whatever. And even though he came back in the game, so you can't really argue that, but the main culprit, as I mentioned from the opening, and I'm going to really unpack this even further, John Harbaugh. What the hell is John Harbaugh doing in this game where his team was undisciplined, and even though their defense played great, But with the personal fouls, the Trevor Jones just trying to clothesline Patrick Mahomes there to get a roughing the passer. Davian Clowney with another roughing the passer leading with his helmet. You had the Zay Flowers, the taunting. You had Lamar Jackson after that interception throwing his helmet, slamming it to the sidelines. What are you doing, my guy? How about getting your team together, corralling them and saying, hey, we have to stop playing this way. Roquan Smith on the last chief drive before they iced the game with the aforementioned Marquez Valdez-Scantling play. What is he doing running over the guard? And I get it. That's a tactic at first and five there just to try to reset the downs. It's only five yards as opposed to them getting the first down from first and five. But what are you doing? That is just despicable to think that a head coach who had won a Super Bowl, mind you, was more than a decade ago, but how he did not have his team mentally focused, mentally prepared. And yes, I get it throughout the course of the game. You're going to have instances. Kyle Van Noy in the first half, who's a veteran, I might add, trying to bait Travis Kelsey, where he also gave him a headbutt and he gets a personal foul. Just inexplicable and deplorable by the head coach. And that falls on him. He should know better. And that game, that goes back to the first half. So this wasn't a situation where things started to get out of hand in the second half to where you got all these personal fouls and just the frustration boiling over on his players. John Harbaugh, he is public enemy number one as to why this team lost. Now, I get it. He wasn't on the field. He wasn't executing the play, so on and so forth. But all he had to do was get his players in a huddle to say, hey, cut the nonsense. You want to get to a Super Bowl? We cannot have these penalties. They're killing us. And as it was, as we saw between Zay Flowers and his meltdown and then Lamar Jackson. And listen, I like Lamar Jackson. He's a good kid. You want to root for him. And I get it for all the stuff coming out of that draft in 2018 to have guys like Baker Mayfield drafted number one, Sam Donald number three, Josh Rosen. Who? Where is he? 
Guys like that, where Lamar Jackson fell all the way to the bottom of the first round and the Ravens drafted him and showed the world that, yes, he can play quarterback in this league. But here's the problem that I have with Lamar Jackson. I get it he wants to win. I get it that he was emotional. And in the postgame, he said he was upset, he wasn't frustrated. But he has to corral those emotions. He cannot show that body language, similar to what we've seen in the past with guys like Peyton Manning when things go wrong, or even Aaron Rodgers. And for Jackson to just have that mopey face on the sidelines, to not really get involved, to yes, I could see that it just, it was eating at him. But he has to, and this is where the coach comes in, as I mentioned, the coach has to go in there and settle him down. The game was still in hand, even after the Zay Flowers fumble, and even after that interception. Because as you saw, 17-10, they still had a chance to see if they could get the ball back, etc. But, Lamar Jackson was a far cry from what he did in the regular season. And I don't want to hear the Houston Texan game the week before because he got up to a slow start then. Give it up to Steve Spagnuolo. I'll talk about the Chiefs in a minute as far as their performance defensively. But Lamar Jackson spit the bit. That's all there is to it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want the apologists out there to say, oh, well, the offensive line, they sprung leaks. They put a lot of pressure. Yes, make adjustments. Max protect. Do whatever you can. But Lamar... You could just tell by some of those throws, overthrowing Nelson Aguilar in the first half, even though he connected with him on a big play there in the second half, but overthrew him, overthrew Justice Hill on that screen to in the flat where you could see that Jackson was frustrated. And when you play like that, you know that you could rattle this guy. And that's where the mental focus must come in, come from within with a guy who has, let's face it, off the charts, talent, we know how electric, we know how dynamic he is, he's had a very good year, Todd Munkin has helped him out, and Todd Munkin wasn't great in this game either, I might add, but for Lamar Jackson, one more time, he's a very good quarterback, and I gotta go back and check the tape, I don't know, this is something from what I heard last week, where Shannon Sharp came out and said that Lamar Jackson is a top 10 quarterback of all time, Shannon Sharp, you're a Hall of Famer. And you played with a guy in John Elway who, if you were to be confronted today and asked the question, for your life, who would you rather have on the center if you're going to be lined up in the slot or, and he was a tight end, so of course he played on the line, who would you rather have on your side to win one game for your life? John Elway or Lamar Jackson? Shannon Sharp, I don't want to hear, well I played X amount of years, you won two Super Bowls with the guy. I don't want to hear it, and I get it, he has his Raven ties when they won the Super Bowl in Super Bowl 35, but uh uh-uh, if you're going to say Lamar Jackson, game for your life, you're off your rocker, my G. That's all there is to it. So I don't want to hear from Shannon Sharp or anybody else that played in this this league or played in the NFL, in the sport, etc. We watch with our own eyes, and yesterday, for a guy that's going to win an MVP and is, like I said, otherworldly with his talent, he came up small. Now, it wasn't all on him. Because, one more time, Todd Munkin and even John Harbaugh, they're the ones to blame here for their loss. And as far as the Chiefs, again, toughness, grit, championship DNA, and that defense, Steve Spagnuolo, he dialed up a bunch of blitzes, similar to what D'Amico Ryan tried to do the week before, and was successful at it in the first half, but then it all imploded, but he continued to put the pressure on, that team was gassed as you saw there in the fourth quarter, but they were able to make plays, hang on, and I tell you, everybody thinks of the Chiefs as an offensive-minded team, and rightfully so because of the quarterback, and even though the parts are a lot different, Travis Kelsey was monumental in this game, he showed up big, more so in the first half, but made a bunch of big plays, had a touchdown, now is the all-time reception leader in playoff history over Jerry Rice, so think about that. When you look at what he's done throughout his career as a tight end, and you know he's going to the Hall of Fame. But for the Chiefs to be able to win these two games on the road to get back to a Super Bowl is nothing short of remarkable. And anytime you have that quarterback, number 15, in white, red, and gold, or yellow, you always have a shot. That guy is a warrior. That guy is... Something else. He's going to end up, as I said last week, he's going to be top two, three quarterback and maybe even number one all time when it's all said and done. And if he wins a Super Bowl here, 
I understand it's a big if because the Niners are going to be game and they're going to want to exact some revenge on what happened down in Miami at Super Bowl 54. But if he wins this game and wins another MVP, that's three titles, three MVPs. Forget about catching Tom Brady with seven, whatever, but he is in rarefied air if that's the case. I believe just he and Tom Brady will have three and three. Because Montana, I believe for the four Super Bowls that he won, I believe he only won two MVPs. One was Jerry Rice. The other, I got to go back. Maybe he did win three MVPs. I have to go back and check that. But again, it's just he, Montana, Brady. Now we still have to wait and see how that all unfolds. But the Chiefs, kudos to them. Just a gut check all the way around. They were able to come out victorious. And there isn't anything more to say about the Chiefs. And I get it. We're going to be sick and tired. And we already have Chief fatigue between all the commercials with State Farm, with the T-Mobiles and cell phones and debit cards with Travis Kelsey. Understood. And then you have to see Taylor Swift for two more weeks. And who knows if she's going to even make it to the game because she has a concert in Tokyo. Although she'll be there because she'll fly private and she'll probably get there in five minutes. But... With all that being said, you still have to give it up because what you're watching, especially with the quarterback, is greatness. That's all there is to it. And as far as the Ravens, there is no way to slice, dice, or digest it. This is a brutal loss. Brutal. It was all in front of you. As I mentioned on Thursday's podcast and even a few minutes ago, it was Lamar's time. The defense played well, as you saw. The offense... Too little, too late, and even then, still not enough. Lamar, I'm not going to give him an F, but he gets a solid D. Because for everything that he did all up until this point, he did not deliver. And when you're going up against the likes of Patrick Mahomes, who is your contemporary, and a guy that you're trying to beat, the old saying, in order to be the man, you got to beat the man, and he did not do that. And I could see if they lost a game 35-31 and Lamar rushed for however many yards and threw for, let's say, the 272, didn't throw any interceptions, etc. But kept his team in the game, even had a lead before the defense gave it up late. Then you can't say anything. But Lamar didn't do that. And Lamar catching his own pass, as we saw there in the first half of the game, which was remarkable. How many players are going to do that? How many quarterbacks are going to do that? Not many. But when you have Patrick Mahomes on the other side, And to try to match what he's going to do. And that's the one thing. The Ravens beat themselves in this game. When do the Chiefs, if any, opportunity beat themselves? They rarely do. And that's why they're going back to a Super Bowl for the fourth time in five years. And then lastly, I know I mentioned this earlier, but that throw to Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Well, I mean, what more can you say about Mahomes in that regard that I've already said over the last whatever a few minutes here which iced the game unbelievable and that's why they're moving forward and the Ravens are staying at home and as far as the nightcap goes when the Lions jumped out to that lead after the first two possessions and they just ran the ball down the Niners throats which is supposed to be one of their strengths I thought to myself can the Lions actually do this and maybe even going away because the way they dictated the tempo of that first half and even got an interception Brock Purdy where they were able to I believe kick a field goal there but for the Lions they couldn't have dreamt of a better start than that one and for the second half to start and I said this while sitting on my sofa where the Niners were getting the ball I said to myself that the Lions have to win this game they're up 17 points I get it there's a whole half to go etc But even if they are hanging by their fingernails on a cliff and somehow, someway eked out this game to where they were victorious and went on to win their first Super Bowl, nobody's going to care. It's not going to matter. Yes, it may be remembered with the diehard sports fan or the big-time football fan, yes. But you know what? They made it. And for whatever the reason, even when the Niners got that, field goal to make it 24-10 and then here come the Lions they're marching down the field and then they get the fourth and two at the 9-28 and the first thing I thought to myself and this is first guess I know Dan Campbell plays the game to win and I know he's uber aggressive as stated by the broadcast how he's the one coach in the NFL that goes for it on fourth down more than any other coach and I thought to myself 
kicked the field goal there only because you could get the three points back. And I understand it's not guaranteed. I get it. But if you get the three points, it erases the three points that the Niners got on the opening drive. And at least the game, you still have the momentum. You still have at least just that feel that the game can't go off the rails. And then what happened? They went for it. Josh Reynolds, who had a couple of bad drops, and I understand that pass there by Goff was a little bit behind him. He could have caught it, but it was not a should have caught it type of pass. And then what happened after that? To me, the biggest play of the game was the pass from Purdy to Brandon Ayuk, which went off of the defensive back, who was a Kindle Vildor, went off of his face mask up in the air. Ayuk had the wherewithal to and the concentration to corral it. They get the ball, what was it, at about the five yard line at 24-10. A couple of plays later, they punch it into the end zone 24-17. And this is where now things really get out of hand. And this is, again, from the fourth and two that wasn't executed, that should have been a field goal opportunity. Between that play, the Ayuk play, the touchdown, and then the fumble by Jameer Gibbs, who is lightning in a bottle. And I'm not talking about him overall. We're talking about how fast and how electric he is when it comes to the running back position. But he fumbles the ball, turns it over deep in their territory. What do the Niners do? They're going to capitalize on that. Teams that beat themselves, as we talked about with the Ravens. And sure enough, before you could blink, 24-7 becomes 24 up. And then the Niners tack on a field goal there. And then here's the second problem that I have. And it falls on the coach. You gotta have a feel for the game if you're Dan Campbell. And right, people could say, Jay Reels, who the hell are you to say this? You're far from an NFL coach. You never even stepped on a pro football field, etc., etc. But I watch the games. I've been watching games for years. And one more time, yes, uber aggressive, a guy that wants to win, go for it, etc., etc., but you gotta have a feel. Here we are, fourth and three. Niner, 30 yard line. This would be lined up for a 47 yard field goal, where in the previous quarter it would have been a 43 yard or 45 yard field goal. What does he do? Throws a pass, incomplete. And it was a, not a low percentage pass, but it certainly wasn't high percentage. It wasn't as if he got the running back coming out, in a, let's say, in a wheel play or maybe the tight end who was in motion and then coming out of the flat. No, he tried to go down the field, even though they were at the 30, but he tried to throw it somewhere in the teens to try to complete a play. Didn't happen. Kicked the field goal. Dan Campbell, it's all on him. And in the post game, he said that no problems going for it. Was aggressive. Wasn't going to change his tune all year. And I'm paraphrasing, of course. Has no regrets. He could say that to the press. And maybe there's a part of him in his head, he thought that that was the right move or both of those moves were the right ones in trying to either take a bigger lead or to win the game. But you know, deep in his gut, he didn't sleep last night. That had to be the longest plane ride from Santa Clara to Motown because I wouldn't be able to sit with myself and I'm sure the fan base, I'd be shocked if the fan base is poo-pooing the fact that he did not kick the field goal there and was ecstatic about him just trying to go for it and not try to get points there. And he's on the road. Generally, the road team, you want to get points. And especially a team that's young, I get it, the quarterback's been around, but that is a young group. And I understand that he's a coach that's still trying to find his footing in this league, being, what, a third-year head coach? But boy, you gotta have a better pulse of what's going on here. And I understand. And people can say, well, if you understand, Jay Reels, that's why he did. But but still, you gotta go percentages. You gotta scrap that whole analytics. Oh, let's go for it here. That's too long of a field goal. I I, I don't want to hear it. Badgley hit a field goal in that direction, even at 27-24. And still. And here's the other thing, too. And one last thing before I move on. Here's the other thing that burns me. So it's 34-24. The Lions are moving the ball. And now it's what? I think at the time it was second and goal, a little bit over a minute to go. They had all their timeouts. Why was he running the ball there? He gave the ball to David Montgomery. He got stuffed. He had to use a timeout. Dan Campbell, what are you doing? Pass the ball there. If it's incomplete, great. If it's a touchdown, 
even greater. Because then you kick the extra point, or if you want to even be that much risky, you want to go for two there, because then if you set yourself up to where you get the ball back, and then you get the touchdown, you go for two, all right, fine. And who knows, maybe Cameron would have done that if that was the case. But by calling a timeout there, which blew the game, any shot that you had to get the ball back, you just literally took a big giant deuce there on the sideline. That's all there was to it. Because let's say if they would have passed there incomplete, or let's say they would have got the touchdown and it would have been about, let's say, 58 seconds to go. You would have had that timeout and all full of the three timeouts you would have had, you would have been able to kick the ball off and then try to make three stops to get the ball back. And what did he do? He ran the ball. Ugh. Just like Harbaugh, different ways though. This was more strategy than anything. Campbell has to be sick to his stomach. I'm sorry. I'm not a Lion fan. I was rooting for them big time. Hard. Why not? I've said it the other day. For those who weren't rooting for the Lions to get to a Super Bowl outside of the Bay Area, you have to get your head examined. This is one that's going to stick to the ribs. This was a bitter loss. No way to slice it, cut it. No, it doesn't matter. The Ravens, that was brutal. This one was bitter. And I don't want to hear the strides they made this year. I don't want to hear, well, hey, we hung with the Niners. Should have won the game. And it all started on that what was it, seven minutes to go, third quarter, where you had a chance to make it 27-10 and keep the game at bay, and we'll never know. Right, he could have went wide left or wide right, or could have been blocked in return for a touchdown. I get it, 100%. But we know the percentages there that chances are it would have put it through the uprights 27-10, and who knows how the rest of that game goes. Maybe Brock Purdy doesn't come from behind. Maybe the Niners try to force it a little bit. Who knows? And I can't say any more else about the Lions here. That's one that the fan base, they're going to have to live with that until they finally get over the hump. And that's all in the head coach. Sorry. Jared Goff was good, not good enough, but, and they had those drops, I understand, and the defense missed tackles, etc. But you know what? They played from in front for pretty much two-thirds of the game. And they should have been able to seal the deal. But that's what happens when you have a coach there for the first time, in the moment, not thinking, and that's what happens. And as far as the Niners, I got to shut up with them being a front-running team. But here's the thing. Green Bay, 9-8. and eight. Detroit, give it up. Two home games. They got to a championship game. Respect. All deserved, etc. But the coach screwed up the game. And if it wasn't for that, who knows? The Lions would be on their way to Vegas. And I wouldn't be talking about them as far as not being able to come from behind, etc. But Brock Purdy, who had a terrible first half, Right at the ship and played well, scrambled, got first downs, made big throws, you name it. And the defense didn't give up much. What, a field goal there in the second half? And I understand the touchdown late, but that was already garbage time when you think about it. And the Niners, unfinished business. I get it that they try to talk about that in the post game, But you have to wonder whether or not that this team, considering how they've played here so far, and I get it, they're going to have two weeks to ponder all this. But Green Bay, Detroit, Kansas City is not. They've been slightly disrespected. And a lot of it has to do with the chief fatigue. They want to see them gone. They're pretty much the new Patriots now. Where we were sick of Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, etc. But it's going to be fascinating. And we're going to have two weeks to chew on it between now and then. So I'm not even going to get into early storylines. I'm going to talk about that more next Monday. Because really, we're going to have to put the NFL on ice between now and then to unpack, uncover everything that's going to, what we would think, take place here, Super Bowl 58, Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. The only newsworthy items you're probably going to get from the NFL over the course of the next couple of weeks are the head coaching hires, and we've had a couple over the last few days, where the Titans hired the Bengal offensive coordinator, Brian Callahan, to see if he could work with the young quarterback that they have in Will Levis, so we'll see how that goes. And then the Panthers hired Dave Cazales from the Dolphins. So we're going to get to see how these young guns are going to, in their first go-arounds at head coach, how they're going to fare, especially down in Carolina, with Bryce Young and with David Tepper casting a 
giant shadow there with his organization considering what had taken place here throughout the course of last year from the draft with Bryce Young and not taking C.J. Stroud with everything that happened throughout the course of the year. What did they win? Two games, him throwing cocktails on uh, fans in Jacksonville, etc. So we'll get to see how those two will perform down the road. And no Bill Belichick, no Pete Carroll. We know Jim Harbaugh with the Chargers and how he was awestruck when he met Justin Herbert, his quarterback. So there you have it there with the coaching hires and we'll get to see what's going to take place here as we move it along deep into the offseason as it's just about begun even though you still have the Super Bowl but you know I'll have my finger on the pulse when it comes to what's happening there in the Shield. Now let me turn my attention as I put on my high tops NBA with the All-Star break still a couple of weeks away and we saw an explosion of points with players this week On Thursday, I talked about how Joel Embiid scored 70. That's right, 70 points to go along with his 18 rebounds on the same night where Carl Anthony Towns scored 62 in a loss to the Charlotte Hornets at home. Well, we got almost a carbon copy on Friday night to where Devin Booker in a loss to Indiana scored 62. And remember, many moons ago against the Celtics on the road, he scored 70 up in Boston. But then you had Luka Doncic for the fourth largest point total in NBA history. Scored 73 points against the Atlanta Hawks in the ATL on Friday night. And begs the question, is it just big-time offense? And we get it that Luka's a big-time player. Joel Embiid, these guys are either current MVPs or potential MVPs in the league. Devin Booker, we know, is a big-time scorer. All-NBA last year, I believe, first team. And even with Carl Anthony Towns, I get it. A guy that is a very good player, arguably the second best player in the team with Anthony Edwards. But these are big time players when you look at the NBA landscape. And we know they could score on anyone from anywhere. But when you're scoring in the 60s and 70s throughout the course of a, what, four or five day span... Either the defenses have been out to lunch and we all know that defense isn't a premium unless you're certain teams in the league who practice and preach that, whether it's Boston, whether it's even the Knicks for that matter with Tom Thibodeau. There are certain teams that are going Tyron Lue in LA, but this is outrageous for two players to score 70 points in a matter of not even a full week. Come on, guys. Where's the defensive fortitude? Where's the game plan to try to slow down? I understand you're not going to stop these guys, but geez. And that's one of the reasons why the NBA, I get it with new rules, and even with shot clocks, instead of being reset, goes to 14 seconds, and more often than not, it's going to be a three, as we know, because the league is dominated by the three here over the last decade plus. But geez. And I get it. It's good to see these big-time scoring efforts time to time. But it's almost becoming like the no-hitter, if you remember a few years back, where I believe in the first two months of the season, you had like five or six no-hitters. After a while, it becomes, okay, well, another guy threw a no-hitter. That's like, all right, well, this guy scored 70. Oh, wow, this one scored 62? All right, great. Remember when Giannis scored 64 early this year and he wanted to keep the ball? I mean, that was just preposterous, as we know, and I talked about it then. But makes you wonder, where's the defense? But then it also... I don't want to say begs the question, but it also makes you think. And last Monday was the, what, 20, no, 18-year anniversary. May rest in peace, and I know the anniversary to that. Not that uh, four years ago on January 26th, the untimely passing of Kobe and his daughter Gigi and, of course, the other passengers on that ill-fated helicopter ride. But for the 81 points that he scored against Toronto on January 22nd of 2006... Is anybody going to eclipse that? Because it's almost as if that that's the new 100 because even with the way the NBA is today, there's no way that a player is going to get 100 points. I'd be shocked to see it. It would almost be super selfish if that's the case. But you have to wonder if anybody's going to eclipse 81 considering that Luka Doncic was just, what, eight points away from tying it. And I believe he had 65 points in the game with 10 minutes left to go in the fourth quarter where he could have gone on one of those barrages where he could have gotten 16, 18 points to either tie or eclipse Kobe's 81 and would have been second all-time for an NBA game. And I tell you, would I be shocked if somebody's going to approach that? 
based on what I've seen so far, I'm sure there's players talking about it throughout the league and be like, oh, wow, Joel got 70. I'm going to see if I can top that. Oh, wait, Luka got 73. Oh, no, I'm going to see if I can top that. I would not be surprised if we see another 70-point effort. Now, am I guaranteeing that? Of course not. But with the way the game has been played and what we've seen here where we've gotten three 60-point efforts, and I don't know if there's another player that got 60 this year, and then two 70s, I could see a 75 and who knows, maybe 80 when it's all said and done for this year. And maybe down the road we may see that 81-point effort or who knows, but boy, I tell you, the NBA... And they need all the publicity and all the attention that they could get. I understand. But man, that is just, when you see that happen more often than not, that comes as a bit of a surprise. And anything else going on in the association? Let's see. You got some big games this week and reunions as well. Tonight you have Minnesota and OKC going at it. And the T-Wolves lost a bad game the other night to San Antonio. They were up at 15 points at one point and they spit the bit there on the road against the Spurs, so let's see if they could get back in the win column against OKC, as I talked about there on Thursday, how the Thunder and T-Wolves, neck and neck, pretty much at a dead even pace there in the Western Conference, and whether or not that those teams are contenders to get to an NBA Final and win it, I'm not trying to say to hang around, and uh-uh, if they played from in front pretty much all year, and they're currently tied 32-14, and 14, I know it's going to be under the radar for a lot of people, but that's a game that if you're a sports fan, and I'm going to see if I can tune in. I don't know if that's probably on NBA TV or I have to probably go to the league pass to watch that. But for those two teams going at it here, a little bit of a litmus test. We'll see. So a battle for the West tonight between those two teams and OKC. You have the Clippers who have played well and they obliterated the Celtics the other night at home. Now the Celtics lost last Friday night, well, two Fridays ago against the Nuggets. As you saw, Jason Tatum came up short there at the end, losing by two. Well, they got ran out of the gym at home by the Clippers, 116, what was it, 115.96, which exacted some revenge where the Celtics, what did they win in LA right before Christmas when they had that double dip? They played the Lakers on Christmas Day, as we know. Uh, What was it, like 145, 108, whatever it was. So they got back at them, and they knew going into that game, they wanted to show the Celtics that that was a fluke by going out to LA and beating them by, what, 37? So Celtics lose there. And then Wednesday night, you have two big returns, one bigger than the other. Kevin Durant in an ABC game, and had these Wednesday night games, which I get it, maybe a little bit of a different approach. Middle of the week, not much to watch. Obviously, the NFL is pretty much done with. And having that Wednesday night window for... The country to see on ABC. Kevin Durant comes back to Brooklyn to play the Nets. And I don't know if that's going to attract a lot of eyeballs to the sets. I'm sure Phoenix, they're on a road trip right now where they lost in Orlando. They go to Miami tonight before coming up the Eastern Seaboard to play the Nets there. I don't know what kind of reception or response he's going to get. I'm sure there may be some boos. Who knows? But Kevin Durant, when you really think about it, was a net. For two and a half years. Remember when he signed that contract. The year with Kyrie. He didn't play that year. He was recovering from that Achilles. Then he played the one full year. Where they won that first round series. And in the big toe of Kevin Durant. On the three point line. Which would have propelled them. Probably to a final at that point. But they lost to the Bucks in seven. In the conference semis. And then the year after that. They got swept by the Celtics in the first round. And then he got traded halfway through last season. So he was a net for two and a half months. Or two and a half years. Excuse me. And I don't know, do you give him a mild applause? Uh, Who knows? But Durant, he'll be in town as of Wednesday night. And then Damian Lillard makes his first return to Portland as they already faced his former team when they visited Milwaukee. I believe he had a 35-point game a few Sundays ago. But now the reception there, you would expect it to be heartfelt, warm, standing old, the video montage, etc., If I'm the Nets, I wouldn't give Kevin Durant a video montage, but even if he was there for an exhibition game and didn't play for the four years he was there, they probably would still give him a video tribute, which is a joke, but I get it. This is the world we live in when it comes to teams honoring their former players. But Damian Lillard should get a huge reception there Wednesday night in the Pacific Northwest, so we'll wait and see what happens there. But as far as the rest of the league, as we see it, it's pretty much the same. I know the Lakers have played a little bit better here as they... 
are now over 500 for the first time in quite some time. But they're still ninth. They're in that 7-10 to 10 bracket in the West. Golden State is still scuffling. And now they're three games behind Utah for the final spot in the West. So you have to wonder about Golden State. And what's going to be fascinating, would they make any trades? Not to say they would trade any of the young players. but And not to say they're going to trade Draymond by any stretch. But you have to wonder, would they be in a little bit of a sell mode here? Not that you're going to trade Curry or Klay Thompson or anything like that, but I don't know if it's, this is going to be it for Golden State considering Draymond and obviously the tragedy of their assistant coach. But maybe they can make a run late. We'll see. But they have not played well as we know. And in the East, we don't know its status quo. I know the Knicks have played fantastic here. They've won six in a row. They're 12 over 500. They are one game behind the Sixers, two in the loss. And that would be great because the more you want to go up, in the conference, you want to see if you could get, you're not going to get home court based on the, well, they'll get home court in the first round, but they're not going to win a division considering the Celtics are way ahead, but that's going to help and bode well for them as far as the standings go to get that first round series. As you saw last year, now they did have against Cleveland and they beat the Cavaliers. As a matter of fact, they were the five seed. Weren't they where Cleveland, off the top of my head. Well, anyway, Knicks are playing great. So you have to give kudos to them. I know Miami is hitting a buttman here as they've lost six in a row and they actually lost to the Knicks here on Saturday in an afternoon matinee game. So for the Heat, who even with that trade, Terry Rozier, I talked about it last week, how he's going to fit into Heat culture, a guy that wants to get his touches, wants to get his points, but he's going to have to buy in to what Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, and of course the head coach Eric Spolstra has done for decades here. So... I wonder if that's going to be a good fit, something to keep an eye on. But that is your NBA in a big, giant nutshell. And the NHL, and I've talked about this team as I lace up my skates here. We've talked about them here for the last couple of weeks. And I don't want to try to squeeze out any more of the lemon to get as much juice out of this. But it has to be brought up. The Edmonton Oilers are one win away from tying the all-time record for consecutive wins in a regular season that was held by the Pittsburgh Penguins back in the 92-93 season after them winning back-to-back Stanley Cups I might add and for the Oilers I've chronicled it and I talked about it and I don't want to bore you to tears with it but they had to fire the head coach they had a rough start and here they are with this run of winning 16 straight which ties the Columbus Blue Jackets what they did a few years ago believe it or not of all teams 16 in a row for the second longest streak in the sports history. But Edmonton, even after that long streak, and forgive me people for repeating this, but they are still five points behind second place in their division. And 12 points behind the first place Vancouver Canucks. And even with them winning 16 in a row and they won in Nashville there 4-1 on Saturday, they're not going to be able to match the all-time record, not tonight, Not tomorrow, not Wednesday night, because the All-Star break begun for a lot of teams, I might add, because the schedule is very light here over the course of these next few days leading into the All-Star break. And the All-Star game, the festivities, I guess the skills competition Friday and the actual games, or really the game, but it goes by the divisions as we know, Saturday. No, they're not going to pick up their quote-unquote second half of the season on Monday. You got to wait till next Tuesday. When they reconvene and they're going to play the Golden Knights, if I'm not mistaken. I'll double check that. I believe they're playing on the road in Vegas. And that is precise. February 6th, a week from tomorrow, 10 p.m., out in the desert. You're going to have a 10-day layoff. And I get it. This is a break which I'm sure for them that they are looking forward to, that they're welcoming with open arms. But now you're on this streak where it could be historic. And now you have a big pause. It's not like you have a game tonight or even tomorrow and then you have the break. No. They've already been off a couple days. They're going to be off a few more. Who knows? Maybe they're on a beach somewhere for all we know. And then they're going to have to rally the troops to go to Vegas. And Vegas, again, they're ahead of them in the standings to try to go for history. not going to say it's a tall order, but that is tough. And not that anybody knew that they were going to reel off 16 straight, but I'll tell you right now, I won't be surprised if, I'm not going to say they're going to get blown out, but I won't be surprised they lose here. And the only thing that they can blame it on is the All-Star break. And I'm sure they'd rather look at it that way, and who knows? I don't know how hungry, 
I would think when you're looking at Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, those two players in particular, if they want to grasp the history of the sport and look at it from a standpoint of, wait a minute, we could match 17 straight. And I'm sure they're aware of it. And I'm sure maybe it's in the back of their mind. But right now they're on break mode because of all the hard work to just to get to this point after that 2-10 and start. But man, 10-day layoff, that's rough. And I would like to see them go for and equal that mark and even surpass it. Why not? This is why we watch sports. You want to see history being made. You want to see records broken, etc. But I don't know if that's going to happen. And a lot of it's going to be based on this long layoff. Now, we could pretty much, for all intents and purposes, because I mentioned the schedule, and it's very light here over the course of these next couple of days, You do have games on the docket. You have, I think, two games tonight. Kings are in St. Louis. Columbus at Seattle. You only have one game tomorrow. Nashville at Ottawa. And then you have three games Wednesday night before you hit the All-Star break. Ottawa, Detroit, LA at Nashville, San Jose at Anaheim. All the other teams are off. They are in All-Star break mode. So there really isn't going to be much to talk about come Thursday. I'm sure if anything happens, you know I'm going to bring it to the forefront, people. But... The NHL is going to be on this long pause and there really isn't going to be much to unpack between now and even next Monday. I'm not going to watch the All-Star game. I haven't watched an NHL All-Star game in forever. Why am I going to start now? Or even the skills competition for that matter. Fastest skater, fastest shot. Uh, Seriously? So the NHL, no pun intended, is going to be put on ice here unless something comes down the pike where I'm going to have to bring up and discuss. So... That's what you can have for the NHL for quite some time. At least a week, of course. And then, let's see what else I have here. Baseball, nothing much to really get into. Am I going to discuss this kid, Colt Keith, infielder, who had signed a six-year, $28.5 million contract before playing his first Major League Baseball game with the Detroit Tigers. We saw this earlier in the offseason with Jackson Churio, the 18-year-old kid from Milwaukee who signed an eight-year, $82 million deal before he even stepped foot for a first pitch in a Major League Baseball game. So am I going to get crazy about that? Absolutely not. And we know that the usual suspects still haven't signed, the Cody Bellingers, the Jordan Montgomerys, etc., Blake Snell, I'm not going to, again, wake me up when those guys sign as we approach the month of February. So that's it with the baseball. But to wrap up here with tennis, and this was an Australian Open for those who paid attention, which was, I'm not going to say one for the books, but was one that, especially on the men's side, was monumental. You had Daniil Medvedev, who had that epic match, what was it, a week or so ago, where it was deep into the night and into the morning, 3.39 a.m. to be exact, four hours plus. And how he went up against Alexander Zverev and was able to move on to a final against Yannick Sinner who beat Novak Djokovic. And you wonder if Djokovic, as we talked about a couple of podcasts ago, how Djokovic had a slow start to his Australian Open, didn't dominate. He went up against that 18-year-old kid from Croatia who took him to four sets, including a long tiebreaker in the third set. Same for the second match where that was tooth and nail. Again, it was a four-setter, but against guys that you never heard of and who knows if you'll ever see, had to, like I said, sweat it out a little bit in order for him to advance. You wonder if that took a toll. Now, we understand he's a machine. We understand that as long as he wins, he's fine, but who knows? Maybe his mind's elsewhere. Maybe his something else is going on in his life that was preoccupied coming into this tournament because he wasn't as sharp he wasn't his usual dominant self, and you saw that there against Yannick Sinner, who took care of him. And Sinner, what more can you say? You're going to beat Djokovic, and then on top of that, you're going to go to a final where you're down two sets to Daniil Medvedev, who had won a Grand Slam tournament years ago at the U.S. Open against Djokovic. So the guy knows his way around winning, and when he falls in the first two sets, 6-3, 6-3, you're thinking, oh, geez, does Sinner even have a shot here? And what does he do? He comes back to not only win 6-4, 6-4, but in the final set, 6-3. Epic comeback. Sinner wins his first ever U.S., excuse me, his first ever Australian Open. I got the U.S. Open on the brain. First ever Aussie Open. First ever Grand Slam title. And boy, you talk about a storybook ending to beat Djokovic. And not only that, but to come from behind to love 
to win your first major Grand Slam title, it doesn't get any better than that. Now, let's see if Sinner, if this could carry on to the French Open and to future Grand Slam tournaments because sometimes getting that first one is always the hardest. And not to say it's going to be smooth sailing from there on out, just ask Carlos Alcaraz after winning Wimbledon, falling in a semifinal the way he did in the U.S. Open, and then here being ousted in the quarters, I believe, or maybe it was a semifinal off the top of my head. No, actually, it was a quarterfinal because he lost to Zverev and then Zverev lost to Medvedev. So, as we know, there's no guarantee. And even though for Sinner, you would think this is going to put a lot of gas in his tank and get him ready for a big year. But as we've seen, is he going to be a one-hit wonder? I would think not. But is he going to win another Grand Slam before it's all said and done as far as 2024? That could be dubious. Because of... Guys like Djokovic, who I'm sure it's still burning in his stomach that he wants to continue to win. Who knows with Rafael Nadal, especially with the French Open. I understand he was hurt, injured with the hip. But you know there's a valiant comeback forthcoming because the clay surface is what he loves. And I'm sure he wants to get one more crack on that surface before it's all said and done to win another major championship. And then Carlos Alcaraz, a young guy who 20 years of age still has his whole future ahead of him, and I'm sure a lot more major tournament victories, but right now, two tournaments removed from Wimbledon, he has not been able to get back to a final to see if he can win one of those. So, we shall wait and see what's going to happen there. And on the women's side, you had Arena Sabalenka win another tournament, Grand Slam, and it was all set up for her after beating Coco Gauff And Sabalenka, who was dominant and was great throughout, and she beat, and I know I'm going to butcher the name, so my apologies to Jen, Jen, ah, jeez. I'm so bad with these names, it doesn't matter what it is, who it is, where they're from, etc. I'm going to see before I close out this segment to make sure that I get her name properly, but for Sabalenka, who had, one more time, a great tournament, You would think she's going to be ranked number one based on this victory here. And with Iga Swiatek losing a couple of matches ago, I believe in a quarterfinal as well. And with Sabalenka, just a stupendous job on her part, being able to come out on top. And let's see. You ready, people? Drum roll here as I try to pronounce this woman's name. It's Zhen Zinwen. I think that's how you pronounce it. But anyway, for Jinwen, and give it up for her, who had a great run here to get to a final. Hopefully, we'll hear from her again as far as being a player that could compete and be in the mix when it comes to winning a Grand Slam tournament. But it's all about Sabalenka now. You would think she's going to get her number one status again. Last time she was ranked number one, I believe it was three years ago. That was after her winning the... Oh, that was in 2019, I believe, when she won the U.S. Open. So this is her second Grand Slam win. But you would think, as a matter of fact, I take that back. She did win in 2021 to get her number one ranking. That's why I got it all mixed up. And then for her to win again in 2024, two Australian Opens, three total with the U.S. Open. And you would think a number one ranked seeding to boot. And our first major tournament is in the books. We'll wait till May to get to the French and put that on pause. And with that being said, another episode in the books. Thank you so much for stopping by, people. We're getting to the month of February. A lot of big things happening. I'll talk about that on Thursday's podcast when it will be February 1st in a new month. So you definitely want to come on back because I got a lot of things to unpack and uncover. Not necessarily about what's going on in sports but with yours truly in the podcast. So you definitely want to stay tuned. And of course, check me out on my YouTube channel, at JReels for daily shorts and even updates when it comes to the podcast and everything that surrounds it. If you please subscribe, rate, review, like I mentioned at the top, do so. Throw me a few stars, write a review. I greatly appreciate it. On the aforementioned YouTube, at JReels. You want to hit me up with a question, comment, suggestion, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast, Twitter, X, J Reels One, just the number, or the old fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to talk about, people. It's in the blood, it's in the DNA, and I can't wait to share the news come Thursday as to what's going to happen here with the podcast because my sleeves are rolled up. Not that they haven't been prior to, but even more so, it is going to be on and popping. I promise you that. 
because the fire, passion, energy, fury that you hear into this microphone through your earbuds, headphones, or speakers, and pretty soon a video component? Question mark? That's right. There's your little teaser to come back there on Thursday with nothing but unadulterated opinions, analysis, critiques, praise, thoughts, feelings on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. And quick correction, back-to-back Australian Opens. I don't know why I said 2021, because I got the U.S. Open and I got all these things in front of me. So therefore, congratulations back-to-back for Sabalenka. From the South Bronx, South Beach, South Central, South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.